0: I think they were trying to challenge me to not have any notes tonight. So good to see everybody out. Appreciate the attendance to this meeting and, and certainly echo Brother Ruben's sentiments and, and what a blessing it is to be here to praise God. And I think it's important for us to remember that, that these times are fun. Um, we get a lot of energy from one another, but the intent and the purpose of what we're doing in the Lord's church is, is giving glory and honor to him. He deserves the praise. He deserves everything that we can possibly give to him. And, and that's why we've taken this week to, to work to improve our ability to sing, uh, but also look at God's word and, and examine this topic of, of the faithfulness of God. And I hope and pray that through the week so far, uh, you understand at a deeper level why God is faithful and how he has demonstrated that faithfulness to us as his creation. We talked about how God is faithful by his very nature. First Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9, our memory, our focus verse this week, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we talked about Sunday morning that this fits within the perfect nature and, and character of God. The very essence of who he is. And, and certainly as we've studied this week, we've, we've gotten a greater understanding. And, and now it's time for us to put that into some application. Because it's one thing to stand before people or to study the Bible and say, man, God is so faithful. And then us not feel the need to change anything about our life. You see, the point of God demonstrating his faithfulness is that you and I might live changed lives. That we can trust in what it is God's word tells us so that when we look at our life and examine the things that we think, the things that we say and the things that we do, when we find that those things aren't accurate or congruent or in accordance with God's word, that we would be willing to change those things about our life. And tonight, we're going to study the topic of our response to his faithfulness. So tonight, I want you to really examine yourself. And, and you can sit there, and you can have a glazed look and not pay attention tonight. And, and certainly, then you won't get anything out of this sermon. But I would encourage you, as we're talking about this this evening, examine your life. Be honest and objective about the things that you think, the things that you say, and the things that you do. And then make a decision of what you're going to do in response to the faithfulness of God. And tonight I want to open up with an issue. You know, sometimes we beat around the bush. Sometimes we try to figure out a political way to to answer a question when we have a problem. But the Bible is very plain. Jesus was very direct and objective when he addressed sin and unrighteousness. In Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Rome, and, and we're just going to look at this. Uh, I know it's a number of verses, but there are a few things I want to point out to set the stage for what we're really going to talk about in our response to God's faithfulness. And I want start there in verse 8. After Paul gives his greeting to the church at Rome and, and goes through those um, niceties, if you will, he gets to verse 8. And he says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. What, what is Paul's heart here? Paul is saying, I have tried numerous times to come to you because I want to be encouraged by your faith. And he says, and I want to be an encourager of you in your faith. And isn't that what we've done this week? is we 've been encouraged by not just knowing the faithfulness of God, but we 've seen that faithfulness demonstrated by our brethren and it 's encouraging to us to see each other striving to live according to god 's will, because a lot of us spend a lot of time in the world don 't we and that world tells us a lot of lies, and that world is in rebellion against God, and, and that world tries to have an influence on us so Isn't it a blessing to have times like this where we can spend so much time for an intended purpose to be built up in our faith? Because guess what? Singing school ends Sunday. And where are you going to be Monday? Where are you going to be Tuesday next week? It's not going to be here with all these people being encouraged in your faith. And Paul said, I want that. I want to be there with you. Please know that that's my heart and desire. But I've not been able to do that. Verse 14. He says, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who also are in Rome. Paul said, I'm under obligation. I want to tell you tonight, the message that I'm going to preach to you tonight, I feel like I'm obligated to preach to you tonight. I want to tell you, the message that I teach to you tonight may make you uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. It may make you think about some things that are going to put you in a position to where you're going to have to really determine, do you want to serve God or not? But I want to tell you, I don't apologize for that. I'm obligated to do that. Now, we can have sermons that are just positive. I want to tell you, the end of this sermon is Positive. The end of every sermon is positive because the end of every sermon is an invitation for people to accept the gift of Jesus Christ. What better positive message can we have than our brokenness can be changed into a glorious life serving Him? So, as we study this evening, understand I'm obligated to share this message with you as Paul was obligated to the Greeks and to the barbarians. And he said, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you. He says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. You know why he was eat Because he wasn't ashamed of it. Okay? Uh, he says, For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, uh, for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Verse 18. Then he says, For the wrath of God... We don't like messages that start with that, do we? <laughs> do we like to think about the wrath of God? No. Have we seen the wrath of God? Yeah. You read the story of Noah and the ark, right? And, and you know, parents with their first children, oftentimes they'll, they'll decorate a nursery and they'll choose the theme of Noah and the ark. And, and you have this floating menagerie, right? Right? <laughs> And you have this boat and these animals and everybody's just happy and there's rainbow and man, it's a great scene. And and we put that on the walls. Do you understand the story of Noah and the ark is really about the wrath of God? Because he destroyed everything but what was in that ark. And I want to tell you, there's coming a day where the Lord is going to return. And guess what? The works. That are in this world and this world will be burned up and destroyed. And the fullness of the wrath of God will be poured out. Isn't that a message we ought to listen to? Brethren, isn't that a message we ought to preach? We don't have to be scared of it. And tonight I'm not trying to scare you, but I am trying to make you realize the wrath of God is real. Real. And he says, it's revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress truth. Now, there's another sermon for you right there. Because <laughs> their unrighteousness stem from what? A suppression of the truth. And he says, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have clearly been perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that they are without excuse for although they knew not God they knew God they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened in conclusion he says claiming to be wise they became fools And exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Verse 24. Therefore, because of that, because of their willingness to give up the glory of God and substitute it with creatures and beings that he had himself created... God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. You see, we look at our culture and we look at some of the things that are prevalent in our culture and our society and we say, man, the world's in a really bad spot right now. We look at our nation and say, where have we gone? Where have we gone wrong? What's it going to take to get people to turn back to God? I want you to understand, this isn't a problem that just popped up in 2023. Paul addressed it here in Rome. Because the problem is, guess what? We want to put ourselves in the seat of God. We want to be the authority. We want to say we make the rules. Therefore, we take what God creates as a beautiful creature and a creation. And we say, no, 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 God, you messed it up. And I get to determine what I will be. I get to determine my destiny and what I will become. I want you to know each of us was created by God for a purpose. And guess what that purpose was? It's to glorify him. Young men... God designed you, created you for the purpose that one day you would be a godly man who would lead a family, who would lead his wife, who would train his children to be followers of Jesus Christ. Young ladies, God created you for a purpose, that you would be laborers in his kingdom, that you would marry, that you would have children, that you would train and and bring those children up in a Christian home training and teaching them to have a fervent love for Jesus. Is there any more noble calling? Yet yeah, we've substituted that. And we said other things are more important. I'll tell you what God designed you to be. Supersedes anything that your heart may feel. And I want you to understand the importance of that statement. Because your feelings can be fickle and your feelings can change. And if your feelings are in opposition to what clearly is taught by Jesus or the Word of God, then you have to make a decision. And guess what? No one in here is going to beat you up to make the right decision. But we'd be foolish not to teach you and try to show you the truth of what God's Word teaches so that you could make an informed decision. You see, tonight's lesson is about the pursuit of holiness. You see, because God is faithful, has been faithful to us as his children, we've been called to a higher calling. We've been called to live lives that are different than the lives that are around us in this world. And we shouldn't be ashamed of that, but we should embrace that and dwell together in his holiness. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14 The writer says, strive for peace with everyone. Do we want peace? You know, the joke was that every time you had a Miss America pageant and it got to those questions, well, what's one wish that you have? Well, I wish for world peace. (laughs) That that sounds wonderful, doesn't it? Yeah, we all want world peace. And and the Lord said, strive for peace with it. We should strive for peace. But then he says something else. It's not just to be peaceful. Because sometimes if we say we're striving for peace, we will not say the hard thing that needs to be said because we just want to keep the peace. And certainly we need to be peacemakers. But then he goes on to say, and for holiness. Uh Uh-oh. How can we have both? I'll tell you, there's a way. Because as we're striving for holiness and we're striving for, for peace with everyone... The peace that we're talking about is the peace in knowing that we are true to God. And that that truthfulness with God opens the door of opportunity for others to see that shining. And we can be the salt of the earth and and the the city that's set on a hill and a light that's not hidden under a bushel. And he says, for without that, no one will see the Lord. Do you understand that? If you're not striving for holiness, you won't see the Lord. You're not just accidentally going to be a Christian. You have to strive for it. You have to work for it. You have to pursue it. Now, we understand what it means to pursue something, don't we? I've heard it a number of times in some of our prayers this week that we pray that our nation will return to being a what? A God-fearing nation. Amen. Amen. It's not wrong to pray for that. We should pray for that. The men that wrote the Declaration of Independence, this is what they said. They said when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to be to the separation. And then we all know this part, Right? We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are what? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. What's it mean to pursue happiness? And in this statement, it means that our government should promote the idea that every individual has the ability to pursue happiness. Happiness. And we say, amen, and we're like, man, that's got to be in the Bible, right? No, it's not. (laughs) So I tell you, God wants you to be happy, but he's more concerned with you being holy. And instead of worrying about our pursuit of happiness, we should be pursuing holiness. Because that's what he's called us to. And I'll tell you, when you're pursuing the holiness of God, you can find a lot of joy You can find a lot of peace. You can find a lot of happiness and fulfillment. And it's fulfillment that won't be fleeting. And it's fulfillment that won't leave you broken at the end of it. Like all the other things that people substitute in this idea of the pursuit of happiness. You see, what is our approach to sin? Most of the world looks at sin this way. Makes me feel good makes me happy. Does sin feel good? Yeah, it does. (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm not going to lie to you. Sin is fun. For a moment. For a moment. But the consequences of sin are destructive. But too often, guess what? Instead of us making that decision and saying man, this would be really fun to do right at this moment, but I know what that's going to cause me spiritually, so I'm going to abstain from doing that. I'm going to be true to God. We live in a society that says, I'll just do whatever I want to do. I want to tell you, people that live in sin, it may look like they're having a lot of fun, but inside they're broken. And inside, guess what? They're ungodly, and the wrath of God is reserved for them if they stay in that state. Secondly, we often say, well, what's the big deal? How is this impacting someone else? This isn't hurting anyone else. It's my life. It's my sin. doesn't hurt you. I'll tell you, none of us lives in a vacuum. All of our lives are interconnected with other people and young people. Your sin impacts me. Your sin impacts your home congregations. Your sin impacts the leadership in those congregations because those elders watch for your souls as those who must give account. Do you understand the gravity of that? Do you understand your sin doesn't just hurt you, it hurts everyone and everything that's around you. And then oftentimes we say, well, where does the Bible say I can't? And the Bible doesn't explicitly say, I can't do something, then it must be permissible. I want to tell you, that's a flawed hermeneutic. That's a very dangerous way to look at Scripture and the Word of God. Because if God says to do something, guess what? We don't have to worry about everything He said not to do. We just do the thing that He said to do. Because He's God. But what we want to do is we want to draw some imaginary line and say, well, I I can get all the way up to that line... And as long as I don't cross over that line, I'm okay. You know what the Bible says about sin? It says flee from idolatry. It says flee from sexual immorality. Not get right up to the edge. Because I want to tell you what will happen. When you get right up to the edge, you're going to step across. And the fact that you're wanting to push right up to that edge shows that your heart really isn't focused on serving God. But you're trying to manipulate and mock God. And the Bible says, God is not mocked. For whatever you sow, you will reap. So our approach to sin isn't to get right up to the line and try to stop but it's to run from the line and to ensure that we are protecting what it is God has called to be holy and totally separate. Look at this passage in Romans 6. Paul says, For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin. If you've been baptized into Jesus Christ and you are a child of God, he says you have to consider yourselves dead to sin. It has no power over you anymore. And I'm not going to live that way. I'm not going to look at those things. I'm not going to do those things because those things separate me from God. And that's what Jesus died for. And I'm different now. Do you understand what we're talking about? And that we are alive to God. In Christ Jesus, First Peter one verse sixteen says, "Be holy, because I am holy." Now, there is one thing that is a very specific threat to our holiness, and it comes in the form of sexual immorality. Now, does this topic make us uncomfortable? You know, the Bible talks a lot about sexual immorality, doesn't it? Now, sometimes it uses big words that we're not as familiar with in our vocabulary, but at the end of the day, God is charging us to maintain purity in our physical bodies. And He challenges us and says, Guess what? If you're a child of God and you want the reward of heaven, you must keep yourself pure and holy. Regarding the relationships that you choose to have in an intimate manner. And any intimate relationship outside of the bonds of marriage, God strictly forbids. It's very plain. See, but what we've done in our culture and our world is we've created a plague. Because, for one, people are uncomfortable to talk about sexual immorality because we're afraid we will hurt someone's feelings. And the intention tonight is not to hurt anyone's feelings. <laughs> the intention is to save souls. And the intention is to be honest with you young people because of the love that we have for you. That you would guard your hearts and you would protect yourself from this plague because if this plague gets a hold of you, it will make it very difficult to have pure godly relationships as you move forward in your life is pornography a problem in our culture I can see the heads of our young people (laughs) nodding it is Uh, we've had some uh, discussions this week and I think Zach even talked about being careful what you allow your eyes to see on your computer screens, and and we've kind of, in a veiled way, talked about some of those things tonight. We're going to be very plain, okay? Uh, And and parents, if you think your kids don't know about this stuff, please don't lie to yourself any longer. (laughs) They know. They've been exposed to it, more than likely, unfortunately. And the longer we act like this isn't a problem and it's not a problem in the church, then guess what? We're going to continue to see lives destroyed because of it. And tonight we want to heed the warning of the Word of God. Now, I'm going to share some statistics with you 30,000 people view pornography every second. Every second. 30,000 people. The United States produces 89% of all pornographic web pages. You know where they don't have this issue? Eastern cultures? The Middle East? <laughs> they take a very hard moral stance against such things. But our country embraces it, and guess what? We produce almost 90% of all the pornography that's out there in the world. of all search engine requests are about sex. That's 68 million searches. 200,000 Americans are addicted to pornography, which means they spend more than 11 hours a week online viewing and watching pornography. Porn addiction is accompanied by other co-occurring disorders such as anxiety, depression, and substance abuse. Is that enough to make us concerned? There's more. 40% of porn addicts lose their spouses. 58% suffer considerable financial losses. 33% of high-volume users of pornography lose their jobs. 56% of divorce cases involved one person having a pornography obsession. Pornography use increases the marital infidelity rate by more than 300% is that enough? The average age of initial pornography exposure is 11 years old. Average. 93% of boys will see pornography before they turn 18 years of age. 57% of teens search out porn at least monthly. 56% 56% of divorce cases involved one person having an obsession with porn and 87% of college-age men report using pornography regularly. Eighty, And understand, these are statistics which means these are the ones who are acknowledging that they're doing it. So the number actually is probably what? A little bit higher. Is that enough to be concerned about? 75% of parents believed their child had never encountered pornography. Maybe you're in that 75% tonight as a parent of one of these children. 53% of those children reported that they had, in fact, viewed porn. So those 75% of the parents who said, no, my kid's never seen it, 53% of those said, oh, yeah, I've seen it. And I've viewed it. I've looked at it. I've gone after it. 71% of teens hide online behaviors from their parents. Young people, I'm not trying to ouch you to your parents. I'm just being honest, okay? I have teenagers in my house. They have friends that come to our house quite regularly. And in every one of their pockets are one of these. And any time I walk in a room and I see very quickly this happened... That spawns a question for me, to my, if it's my sons that do it, that spawns a question. Let me see your phone. Right? Because what's that indicate? You're looking at something you shouldn't be looking at. I'll do it to their friends, too. <laughs> you're in my house, you're on my Wi-Fi, guess what? <laughs> Let me see your phone. Because you hide it. of teens who consume pornography did so to learn about sex. They were curious and that's how they know their friends talk about it or or they've seen a little bit and they they search it out because that's how they want to learn. You know how our young people should learn about sex from the Word of God and from parents who lovingly teach them the truth so that they don't learn a distorted lie about it? That's deceptive and of Satan. Satan. Over 20 independent studies find a high correlation between porn use and decline in mental health. And I can go into a lot of details about that, of what pornography does to the brain, but essentially it does the same thing as other substances. Because what it does is it gives your brain a rush and a dump of dopamine, and it feels really good. And then to achieve that same level, guess what? You have to do more and more and more. And then the things that you seek out get more ungodly and more ungodly and more ungodly because you're training your brain of how it responds to what it sees. And we see a decline in mental health of those who really have an issue viewing pornography. Is that enough? There's more. One in five youth pastors and one in seven senior pastors use porn on a regular basis. So let's not act like this isn't in our churches. Let's not act like, oh, that's just in the world, that's in the public school system. No, it's in the church. 43% of all church leaders say they have struggled with pornography in the past. 64% of Christian men say they watch porn at least once a month. 15% of Christian women say they watch pornography at least once a month. Only 7% of church leaders report that their church has a program for high volume porn users. Leaders and congregations, if you don't have some plan in place to help people struggling with this, you better get one quick. Because this issue isn't going away. Is that enough? 90% of teens and 96% of young adults are encouraging, accepting, or neutral when discussing pornography with friends. 55% of adults 25 and older believe pornography is wrong. Let me tell you what God says about pornography it's sin, it means it's wrong. And if you allow your eyes to look at that and you fulfill the lust of your flesh as you're viewing that, guess what? Sin is taking hold of your life. And sin is in your heart. And it's wrong and God says it's wrong. And the fact that only 55% of adults 25 and older say it's wrong really concerns me. Teens and young adults believe not recycling is worse than viewing pornography. 43% of teens believe porn is bad for society compared to 31% of young adults age 18 to 24. 51% of millennials, 44% of Gen Xers, 59% of boomers believe porn is bad for society. And guess what? As we progress, that number is going to get smaller and smaller Because we're going to become more tolerant and accepting of these ideas. And we're not really going to do anything to change this type of behavior. I want to tell you, the church is going to do something. The church is going to teach you the truth. And the church is going to plead with you to change what it is that you've created as a habit that will separate you from God. And I want to tell you tonight, no one's condemning you if you're struggling with that right now. But we are offering you solutions to change. And we would offer you hope, but you have to acknowledge that what you're doing is wrong. Now, is this a problem? You know why pornography is such a problem? Because once your eye sees something, what you see sends signals to your mind and to your brain. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 11 and verse 34: He says, Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light, but when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. And you young people, tell me if I'm wrong, not out loud right now, (laughs) but tell me if I'm wrong And saying pornography is a big issue that the church ought to be dealing with. It is. You know it is. I know it is. And it's not just a problem you run into at school. Now, is that hard to hear? Does it make you uncomfortable? Yeah, I understand that. But once you understand something about the church, the church is a family. You know, in my family, in my home in Lifer, Texas, there are six people that live in that house. Myself and Elizabeth, Josiah, Ezra, Malachi, and Joy. And you know what? We talk about hard things. We talk about real life issues. You know why? Because you're gonna learn about it somewhere. And if we're the family of God, guess what? We have to be willing to have hard, difficult conversations sometimes and acknowledge the reality that we live in and say, you know what, I want to make a change. And who better to help you make that change than God's people? And you have that opportunity if you're struggling with this type of addiction. Now, does what you see affect you? Proverbs 4 and 23 says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Proverbs 4, 25 and 26, building upon that idea, he says, let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. Focus. What are our goals? What's our mission? What's our purpose in life? And don't get distracted by the momentary pleasures. That would lead us astray from being focused on our author and finisher of our faith, Jesus Christ. And what he has called us to. We sit here in church and we sing songs about how beautiful heaven's going to be. And what a great day that's going to be. I want to tell you, if we're not focused on that day and we're not focused on Jesus and we keep getting distracted. We're not going to make that day. And we're going to miss out on glories. Why? Because of our sin. I want you to listen to Proverbs 7, the first four verses as Solomon writes to his son. Fathers, I want you to think about this admonition that this father is leaving for his son. This wisdom, this knowledge. He says, my son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call insight your intimate friend. This father is pleading with his son. Listen to what I'm teaching you. I'm trying to save you a lot of heartache. I'm trying to save you a lot of issues and problems. Because you know what? I did these things. And I'm trying to help you not follow that pattern. But to change the course of your life before you head down that road. Solomon was the second wisest man to ever walk on the earth, right? When God approached him and said, hey, you can ask anything you want, what do you get? He asked for wisdom. But you know, Solomon didn't exercise wisdom appropriately all the time, did he? His heart was turned aside by what? Women. Do you think Solomon as he's writing to his son these words in Proverbs maybe is reflecting on how he had exercised his wisdom in going after those women and those ungodly relationships and trying to save his son some of that heartache? And ultimately, what he's saying is this. Protect the words that I'm telling you. Young men... When your fathers talk to you about the importance of holiness and purity, take it to heart. Don't let it go in one ear and out the other and say, oh, you're just an old man, you don't understand. No, listen to them. There's wisdom there. Young ladies, when your parents talk to you about keeping yourself pure, keeping your heart pure and and focused on Jesus Christ, and that when a young man comes that is godly, You can build a relationship and and a marriage and save that sexual intimacy for that relationship alone. Listen to them. They're not telling you that because they're old and they don't understand. They're telling you that because they're wise. And they're trying to save you a lot of destruction and pain. He says, hoard them up. Stay focused on them. Bind them on your hands, engrave them on your heart, have a close relation, be intimate with the wisdom that God's word is giving to us. That's why we tell you to memorize verses. It's not just so we can say, hey, we memorized the verse this week, but it's because the more of God's word we put into our heart, guess what? The more pure our life is going to be because we're really going to be intentional and purpose in the decisions that we make. And when we're tempted to do something we know is wrong, God's word is going to be there to remind us it's not worth it. That momentary pleasure is not worth risking our soul and our eternity. And ultimately, here's what Solomon is saying. He's given instruction to his son. Why was he giving this specific instruction to his son? You got to keep reading. So keep all that in mind that we just said, right? You with me? about keeping his words, binding them on their hands, being intimate with his words. You know why he said that? Look at verse 5. To keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. What was Solomon warning his son about? A seductress. A seductress who would seek opportunity to have a relationship with him. Who would flatter him with kind words. Who would put on the sweet smelling perfume. Who would adorn herself in beautiful clothing. Who would entice him to come and lie with her in her bed. Who would reassure him and say, my husband is gone. He's not going to come around. We're safe. There's security here. And young people, you may not have that experience with other people yet. I want to tell you, every time you open up your phone or your laptop or your iPad or your tablet, whatever device you have, I want to tell you, there is an evil seductress looking, looking to get a hold of you. And you better be wise. And you better have stored up God's word in your heart to fight that temptation. And brethren, I'm sharing this because I'm tired of getting the phone calls. I'm tired of getting the calls saying, we have someone in our congregation who's struggling with pornography and their home is falling apart. I'm tired of getting the calls, I lost my job because I was looking at pornography at work. I've lost everything because this seductress took a hold of their life. The problem's real. Now, what to do now? I'm going to tell you the first thing we do is we trust God. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your, straight your paths. We've talked about the faithfulness of God. You know why we've talked about that? Do you trust him? Do you trust God? Do you? You you have to answer that. Not out loud right now. You have to answer that, though. Do you really trust God? And when God says, this is an abomination, this is sinful, this will destroy your life, do you listen? Or do you just do what you want to do because you really don't believe? Oh, we trust God because we want to go to heaven, but we don't trust Him when He's given us warnings about protecting and guarding our heart and our soul. you got to trust Him all the time. Which is why his faithfulness is so important and pivotal to us. Number two, we've got to be different. And not be different for the sake of being different. Be different because we're following after the pattern of a holy God and a creator. 1 Peter 2 and verse 9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You know, some people just like to be different. Because being different gets you attention. I'll tell you, we're different from the world because we're reflecting God's nature to a world in darkness. That's why we're different. Not just so people can say you're different, but because they can see Christ living in us. How many times have we sung Galatians 2 and 20 this week? I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me, In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself, I'm no longer mine, I'm his. And when the world sees me, they need to see Jesus, right? That's what that verse is telling us. That's why we need to be different. Number three, young men, I want all your eyes on me right now. You look at women differently. And I'm not just talking about the young men up here. You men in the back. You need to look at women differently. They are not there to only satisfy your pleasure. And here's what the Bible says about those women. It says, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers older women as what mothers younger women as sisters in all purity i want to tell you when i look at my wife i can look at her as my wife and we get to have a relationship with each other i want to tell you that in the sight of god is pleasing to him that is honorable and she's the only one i get to share that with and she's only or i'm the only one she gets to share that with And it's beautiful within the context of what God created for us to have. And when I look at another woman, you young ladies that are younger than me, guess what? I look at you as a sister. Therefore, my behavior towards you should be that of a brother and a sister. And anything more than that, I want to tell you, is ungodly. Older women, (laughs) guess what? I look at you as a mother. You see, but our culture has hypersexualized everything. That anytime we look at someone of the opposite sex, immediately our culture has trained us to look at that person in a sexual context. God says, don't do that. And He says, you do this in all purity. You look at other women as sisters and mothers, and guess what? You don't have that problem. Because I want to tell you, pornography is an issue, but you can create images in your head. And you can create a Rolodex of women in your mind, I want to tell you, it's just as impure and ungodly as looking at it on a computer screen. We have to change the way we build and establish our relationships in God's kingdom. And young men, you need to look at women differently. And number four... Make a covenant. Did we talk about covenants earlier this week with God? Yeah. We talked about God making covenants that he was going to be true to. He's going to keep his word. He's going to fulfill his covenant. Well, guess what? Job said, Job said, I've made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? What would be my portion from God above my heritage from the Almighty on high? You see, Job looked at other women, and he said, I've made a covenant with my eyes that I'm not going to look at them with lust. I'm not going to look at them inappropriately, but I make an agreement with my eyes. Have you done that? Young men, if you have, are you living up to it? Are you keeping it? Because it doesn't do any good to make a covenant and then not live up to it. If you make the covenant, stay committed to the covenant. And see that commitment through. And then trust in the faithfulness of God. Is it hard to change patterns of behavior? I want to tell you, someone who's addicted to alcohol, it's very difficult to stop drinking alcohol. You know why? Because they have developed a manner of lifestyle where alcohol plays a big part of their being. And a lot of their behaviors revolve around that alcohol. And changing that is hard. But I want to ask you this. Is God faithful? Can God help? First Corinthians 10 and verse 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that uh, is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted above, uh, beyond your ability, but will with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved brethren, flee from idolatry. There's that idea of fleeing from idolatry, fleeing from the things that would separate us from God. And God always gives us a way out. He's faithful. And whatever it is that triggers you to look at things that are inappropriate, get rid of those things that trigger that. You know what that means? You may have to give up your phone. I promise you won't die. You think you will, you won't. In fact, it may save your soul. Put yourself in positions that would not allow you to even look at something inappropriate. If you're going to be on a laptop, be on a laptop in a public area. As I guarantee you, it would be very difficult if you look at pornography right now, with everyone around. Because most of the time you go do that where by yourself. So if that's the problem, don't go by yourself with those opportunities for Satan to get a foothold into your heart. I want to challenge you tonight. And I want to ask you if you would make a covenant. God calls us to holiness Will you respond by being holy? Will you make a covenant to lay down the distractions that are separating you from God? Will you make a covenant to be a better husband, a better father, a better wife, a better mother? Because if you'll commit yourself to that, and you'll make that covenant, your life will glorify God. In 2 Kings 23, a young man named Josiah was king of Israel. And he was a restorer of God's people. And they had found the book of the law, and they caused that book of the law to be read in in, in front of all of the nation. And you know what Josiah did upon reading that? The first time he read it, he tore his clothing and he repented. And then now as they're reading that law to all of the nation of Israel... The Bible says in verse 3 of 2 Kings 23, The king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart, all his soul, to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. King Josiah said, you know what? Reading this has reminded me of where I ought to be with God, and I'm making a covenant today to stand with God. I'm making a covenant that what his word tells me I will do. When his word tells me not to do something, I'm not going to do it. And I'm going to be pure in my heart and my mind toward God who made me to glorify him. I'm committed to that. And Josiah said, I'm making that covenant. And guess what all the people did? And all the people joined in the covenant. Can you picture that? (laughs) That King Josiah makes that stand for the covenant. And then all of the nation of Israel says, we're with you. We're committed to this. And maybe you need that tonight. Maybe you need to make that covenant. I want to tell you, you won't make that covenant by yourself. So I'll promise you one thing. I'll stand by you and make a covenant with you. The leaders in this congregation will stand by you and make a covenant with you to help you. To break the cycle and to break Satan's hold on your heart because we don't want anyone here missing out on eternity with God. Tonight, I want to ask this simple question Who do you trust? Do you trust God? Do you really trust Him? Psalm Psalm 33 and verse 4 says, The word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness. His word's true. You can count on it day and night. You know what you can't count on? Your own heart. You may feel a certain way tonight. You may know what the word of God says pertaining to sexual immorality. And you may have other thoughts in your heart. You may have doubts. You may have questions. I want to tell you, trust God's word. Don't trust your own heart. You know why? Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? He says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. And Jesus says, there's but two paths. One that's straight and narrow that leads to life. And one that's broad that leads to destruction. Tonight, you got to make a choice. And if you're ready to get serious with God, you're ready to come and confess your sins. Remember what we've talked about all week? He's faithful and just to forgive you. But he can't forgive you if you don't acknowledge it. Acknowledge it tonight. Get the help that you need from your brothers and sisters in Christ. And let's make a covenant together to walk holy before a holy God. And we'll do that with you. All you have to do is come to the front as together we stand and sing. and oh. our kids.